I, I had the opportunity uh, Monday to fly out to Fresno, which still is an opportunity. Um, and I was in Fresno from Monday all the way through Saturday. Uh, took my last class that I was taking for my master's. Um, and the reason why I say that is um, some people ask me, like, hey, you, are you in school still? Yeah, I am in school. Um, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I shared how I had a 0.67 GPA in my first semester in, in ASU. I did graduate. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> like, like, I finished, I majored in education, ironically. Um, realized you probably don't want me teaching your kids. Um, and once, once after God had saved me, I really wanted to go back to school. And I was looking for, not seminary, but a school that would allow me to learn more about urban uh, multicultural ministry, and so I, I went to a theological school called Baki University. Uh, it's, it's based in Seattle, but it's a distance learning program. So anyways, I'm going to finish my master's, God willingly, that's still up to debate, but there's a chance that I'm going to finish my master's by May. And to me, it's not that big of a deal because a lot of you guys are in school as well. We have a lot of college kids that aren't here today because of spring break, but haters. Um, um, in my school, I don't get spring break, so uh, get family, kids, you guys, people I love. And so um, I will finish God willing of that. So you guys can definitely pray for me in that. It doesn't make me any smarter, um, just makes me more broke. So thankful. Listen, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. If you've been tracking with us, you have heard the gospel. You have heard the gospel week after week after week after week that Paul has in this letter been talking about the way that a person becomes a Christian. And it's by faith and faith alone and grace and grace alone. Uh, last week, he took a turn from talking about theology and doctrine to talking about Christian ethics and how a Christian now lives in response to their faith in Christ Jesus, how they ought to live in response to Jesus laying down his life and giving himself for them. And so last week, the takeaway that we had was that we are to, in response to Jesus, serve one another, that we're to lay our lives down for other people, to care for them, to feed the poor. Those are the things that we're called to do. And in this, in, this, in this next section, Paul begins to talk about here, I would say, Christian discipleship. So in essence, how do we apply the gospel to our life and see change? Um, how do we apply the gospel in our life that we, are, we grow in sanctification? So we've been talking about justification, which is the one-time act of which God acquits us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, in the work and through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, one-time act sanctification is a process or progress of which God, by the Holy Spirit, applies the gospel to our life that we grow. Justification, one-time act. Meaning, if you've been a Christian for six years or 60 years, you are all justified the same, righteous before the Lord by faith. Sanctification is a process. And every single one of us in this room that have faith in Jesus Christ, we're on that process. There's a maturation process in which we are maturing and being made more and more like Christ. What you'll see today is there's, there's, there's a part that we play in sanctification. There's a part that Christians play in them changing and them growing. Um, so Paul begins in verse 16 here by giving us the command. Verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So there's the command there. Walk by the Spirit. And so what Paul is saying there, to walk by the Spirit implies two things. One, direction and guidance. I'm sorry. Direction and guidance, meaning the Spirit lets us know the direction, how we should walk, what we should do, and then also gives us guidance. And so there's a power. It empowers us to do something. So not only does God show us the way through his word by the Spirit of how we should live, but the Spirit now is given to us um, by faith in Christ Jesus to empower us. And so uh, I thought of this illustration um, of trying to communicate the difference between the law um, of works and then the law of the Spirit. So the law ultimately tells you to do something. 
That's what we've been saying week after week. The law was saying, do this, do this, do this. And so in our culture, there's a shoe company called Nike. I know it's an athletic, it's not Tom's, but it's a shoe company called Nike. And Tom's shoe, or Tom's shoes, Tom's, Nike's shoes, their motto is, just do it. That's the law. The law just says, just do it. Obey your mother. Just do it. Just do it, right? doesn't empower you, whereas that the spirit, the law of the spirit is more like Gatorade, okay? Gatorade, again, it's something that athletes drink, people exercise, work out, ride bikes, so we should be familiar with that. So Gatorade is something that their motto is, is it in you? It's kind of lame, but the picture there is, if the spirit is in you, now you can do it. If the spirit of Christ is in you, now you've been filled. You've been given God's Holy Spirit to walk in a certain way. So when Paul says walk in the spirit, tangibly, practically. What that means is every single morning that you wake up, you, do, you decide to follow Jesus. You decide when you get out of bed, when everything is rushing in your mind, what you have to do for work, trying to get your kids ready for school, um, roommates bothering you, I will follow Jesus today. No matter what circumstances, I will follow Jesus. It's a daily decision that a Christian makes, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is to walk by the Spirit, is to follow and submit to the Word of God and the people of God, ultimately, in Christ himself. So Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, there is a truth that there is a desires in Christians, um, evil desires, sinful desires, that when God saves us and he reconciles us, though he's forgiven us of our sins, past, present, and future, we are still sinners. We are simultaneously sinner and saint. And Paul, Paul, Paul unpacks this here for us. And so in order for us to ever know how to walk by the Spirit so that we may not gratify the desires of the flesh, we have to understand the difference between the flesh and the Spirit. And so what I want to do today is just unpack what, we, what Paul has here and talking about the flesh and the works of the flesh and then also the fruit of the Spirit and then give us two so what's, the part that we play in our sanctification and in our growth. But before we do that, would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we pray and ask by your Holy Spirit that you would take the scriptures and you would illuminate them. God, that you would take our lives wherever we are today, um, wherever we've come from, um, whatever we're thinking, um, God, and that you would speak to us. As we talk about uh, the flesh and the spirit, I, I pray that you would, you would give us truth, that you would confront us where we are in our own sin and point us to our Savior in Christ Jesus, Father. Uh, we pray for your spirit to be with us and to guide us. In Christ's name, amen. My, my, my church experience uh, was uh, in the historical black church, we, we used to always say that all of us were drug babies. Um, before you say anything, here's what I mean. Not drugs from drugs, but like meaning we were all drugged to church right? We were drugged to church, right? Monday morning or Monday night, we were at church for prayer. Tuesday night, we were for children's prayer. Wednesday night was for children's church. Thursday night wasn't really going on, but it was like, hey, you've been there the past three days. Might as well go again, right? It was just church, 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 Sunday morning, Bible study. After Bible study was church. And if you've ever been to a historical African-American church, not only is it fun, not only is it an experience, but it is incredibly long, incredibly long, because we don't stop until the Spirit stops, right? And sometimes you're like, where is he at? Tell him to cut it off, right? And, and that was my experience. And so going to church week after week, day after day, I begin to know church. I, I, I begin to speak church. Everyone in my church looked at me and thought, what a good kid uh, Ricardo is. And I would know how to say the certain language, you know. We, t- we, we had to talk to adults as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, and I had my church clothes on. I don't know if you guys grew, to church and, grew up going to church and you had to wear church clothes. Like, I would never be able to wear jeans going to church. My mom would say, oh, you know, the Lord says, come as you are. I'd put on some jeans. He goes, yeah, except for you, right? 
put on some, some, some church shoes, which really is just dress shoes, button-up shirt, and just sit in church. I mean, I knew how to say yes, sir, no, sir. I watched McGee and me. I did it all. Awana, VBS, I did, I did it all, right? Some of you guys are laughing because you've been there. And, and I knew how to speak church, and yet I never knew the gospel. I never knew the gospel. And, and, and the, the lie is in Christian circles that if we can convince people and we can teach people to say the right things and do the right things, then it's a success, and yet, that's not true. You see, when it, when it came to my experience in church, um, what I was taught, either explicitly and implicitly, is that if I can just stay away, the problem with Christianity is if we need to stay away from the world. We need to stay away from BET. BET is black entertainment television. Um, stay away from BET. Stay away from MTV. Um, stay away from CMT. That's still the truth, actually. Um, just just, just stay, stay, stay away from these things. Just, if you could stay away from baggy jeans and cross-colored jeans, and you'd be fine. Yet for me, I was drawn to that. I was, I was born in, in 82, and therefore I was a junior high and high school student in the 90s. My personal opinion, Jess Ricardo, 1991 to 2001 was the best time for rap music and r and I mean, it was, it, it just drew me in, it discipled me, right? And, 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 and think about it, right? Tupac taught me how to live and die in LA. I wanted that. TLC taught me, don't, don't go chasing waterfalls, just stick to the rivers and the lake right here that you're used to. And, you know, and I, I, I got outside of my, my, you know, my sphere. Dixie Chicks told me I needed wide open spaces, right? <laughs> the, 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 the thought was, if I, if I stayed away from that, if I could just say the right things and do the right things, then I'd be okay, but here's the problem. I knew exactly how to act on Sunday, and I knew exactly how to act on Monday through Saturday when I was with my friends. I knew exactly what to say on Sunday, and I knew exactly what to say on Monday through Saturday. And it just, to me, there was such a disconnect between the church and what I was hearing and, and what I was experiencing, what I felt, and the way I was raised. It just, it's almost as like if the Bible had nothing to say about culture. The Bible had nothing to say about music. The Bible had nothing to say about dress and style. And, and, and then in college, I met a man. And this guy that I met, his name was Mike Sanfratello. Big, tall Italian guy, big, huge guy. He was a chaplain. He'd come out to practice every single day. Um, we called him Fro. Ironically, he was bald, but his nickname was Fro. I never got that. Yet, he engaged us right where we were. He knew the music we were listening to. He saw the baggy pants that we had, the three XTs, the hat, the Js. There's a Jordan, by the way. He saw, he saw, he saw all that, and yet, he engaged with us and then began to talk about Jesus. And because the first time I ever heard somebody take the word of God, take Jesus, and ultimately apply it to the context that, that I thought was real life. And then when I begin to read the Bible, I see that the Bible never tells the church, that God never tells the church to, to abstain, or excuse me, to avoid or to separate from the world. In fact, Jesus prays. In John chapter 17, in the high priestly prayer, he prays for every single person who would come to know Jesus through discipleship, who would come to know himself through discipleship. And he also prays to the Father, and he says, don't take them out. Leave them here. Just protect them from the evil one. Meaning this world is corrupted. This world is fallen. There are broken things. There are certain music that we probably shouldn't listen to. Um, there, there are certain artists that are, that are not glorifying the Lord. And yet the context of discipleship is in the world. It's in business. It's in art. It's in music. It's in fashion. It's in school. It's in relationship. It's in families. It's not in the context of these four walls. But what Paul talks about here ultimately is the problem wasn't the music that I was listening to. The problem wasn't that, that Carson Daly was, was killing me on TRL, right? That, that, that wasn't my issue, and it's not the issue that we have as Christians. Paul says here in verse 17 what the problem is. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. 
and the desires of the spirits are, spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So Paul talks about the issue with Christianity, the problem with Christians, it's within us, that there's a war within us. And th this is not something that we should ever take light. This is not cartoonish with the, with, you know, you see the cartoons with the angel on one side and like little Sparky over here, right, and telling you what to do. No, this is cosmic. In fact, Paul says this clearly in Ephesians chapter 6 when he talks about the warfare. It, it's, it's, a, it's a kingdom of God and there's a kingdom of Satan. That the war that we, we engage is not a war with flesh and blood, but principalities, that it's huge. And what's happening in this cosmic war is that it's meeting and conflict inside every single believer. Though we are saved, made right before God, though we have the gospel, though we have the Holy Spirit by faith living in us, we are still sinful. We still have desires that are not in line with the truth of the gospel. We still have desires that we want and we desire things that are against God's way and God's rule and his, his care and protection for us. And Paul says, this is an average Christian life. This not just average, this is every Christian life. That, that, that Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take hold of, overcome the world. And so the problem is, is that we have flesh. And our, our, our flesh ultimately is not just our skin, but it's our fallen human nature. That though you are here and you believe in Jesus, that you will have the propensity and the proclivity to desire everything but Jesus still as a Christian. And, and this is important because sometimes in Christian circles we hear that, oh, once you're, once you're saved, sanctified, you're good, you won't even desire these things anymore. I was told that. And I think that's the biggest lie we can ever tell people. In fact, I tell people, you may want to do it even more sometimes because that, that's just how broken we are. And yet, God gives us the Spirit. And so if we're going to understand how to walk in the Spirit, we've got to understand something about ourselves. We've got to be aware about ourselves. Our problem, again, is not what surrounds us. Now, does that give us context? Does that give influence the way we're raised, what we listen to, what we watch, what we expose, our to, or expose ourselves to? Actually, act, absolutely. But ultimately, it's, it's an internal, uh, eternal, internal war between the flesh and the spirit. And so Paul starts first by talking about the flesh, and we'll walk through um, identifying the things and describing the things that he talks about about the flesh. Verse 19 says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, intimacy, strife, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. He just goes on and on and on. He's trying to say, I'm trying to catch all of y'all, right? Someone struggles in some of this. First he goes, sexual morality. It's simple. Anything that you do in sexual engagement outside of the context of marriage between a man and a woman um, in a committed relationship, that's that any sexual contact, any sexual activity. The Greek word there is pornonia, which we get our word pornography from. And Paul says, one, this is a work of the flesh, that you will be drawn to that. Now, don't get me wrong, sexual desires are healthy. They're God-given. However, because of our fallen nature, they will go and we will be drawn and wooed towards things that are, that are, that are sin. Paul continues his list, he talks about impurity, which is similar to sexual morality, but this is way more just being unclean um, and doing things that make ourselves unclean. And then sensuality, sensuality has the ideal of inde indecency, uh, doing, what, doing what's wrong even though you know what's right, and being okay with doing it in the public. Um, Paul continues this list uh, with, with idolatry. Now we talk about idolatry quite a bit here, and idolatry is just worshiping anything that's not God or placing your value, placing your identity, finding your motivation um, in anything other than the saving work of Jesus Christ. The next one here is sorcery. 
Now, sorcery was interesting to me when I was looking at the definition of what sorcery means. It does mean, first and foremost, worshiping something that's evil. So satanic worship, not a good idea, right? So Paul says, don't do that. But also in the Greek here is where we get the word pharmacy from. And the reason why uh, ancient people in Greek use this, use this language is because witch doctors is what they refer to. And witch doctors would prescribe medicine or drugs to people to make them hallucinate, to change their mode, uh, their mood, just, just to change their mind. And so, in essence, it's drugs. And I thought, oh, that's good. I needed something like that. Because you know why? Pretty soon, they're going to legalize marijuana here. And I already know what's going to happen with the 20-somethings. They're going to, hey, Ricardo, so, uh, man, so did you hear what happened? <laughs> hey, we wanted to know, is it, you know, okay for us to smoke weed? And, and I'm going to say, no, no. And they're going to go, oh, you're a legalist. No, you shouldn't be high, right? That's, that's ultimately it. So I can't wait for that one. I just can't wait to go, well, Paul says here that there was witch doctors drinking, giving drugs. And I don't know if it was marijuana. However, it is a plant. And I know you guys laugh at that, but I get that question all. If it's natural, if God gave it to us, you know, uh, if for medicinal reasons, I'm like, no, this is not for any medicinal reason. This is all recreation, bro. Um, play, play a video game or something, all right? The, Paul next goes to enmity. And enmity is just is enemy. This is, this is the, enmity has the ideal of just when you just don't like somebody. <laughs> there are people who we don't like. And I'm not trying to say that you need to, no, you do need to love everybody, um, but we, we give ourselves an excuse. You, don't, you need to love everybody, but you don't have to like everybody. Um, you can't hate people. How about that? You can't just look at particular people, groups of people, and right here, this is groups of people speaking ethnically, racially, politically, and go, oh, yeah, I just don't like those people, right? And, and again, we talk about this. You can't be a racist. I'm, I'm just sorry. Like, if you believe in Jesus, I'm sorry. You have to give up your race card. Um, you can't be overly, if you're white, you can't, be, you can't have too much white pride. If you're black, you can't have too much black pride. If, if you're whatever ethnicity you are, you can enjoy being that ethnicity, but you can't raise that ethnicity over the others, all right? That's just a problem. Uh, and you can't pick on people for different political parties. So you can't just go, I hate all Republicans, or I hate all Democrats, or I hate all people who are not either or. I mean, just, we can't do that. Paul's saying that, that's sin. That, that's creating enemies. So the question I thought, what about U of A? <laughs> Where the Bible is silent, God is silent, so you proceed with wisdom. <laughs> right? <laughs> we have strife here. Strife, strife, strife is just the, the conflict that we have. Jealousy is wanting what somebody else has. Um, you have fits of anger. Fits of anger is not just being upset. So you look at strife and fits of anger. One, strife is something I struggle with. Strife has the idea of um, just wanting to be someone who disagreed just to disagree. I find it in myself. Someone says, it's cold outside. Oh, really? You think it's cold? Have you been to Chicago? Right? Um, just that, you know, that, that guy. I, I find myself wanting to go, oh, oh, one plus one equals two, huh? Well, technically, I mean, what do you mean by one? Right? Then you have fits of anger. Fits of anger is not just being a pain in the butt. Um, fits of anger is wanting to fight. Um, Christians who just want to fight. Not UFC, not wrestling, not organized fighting, um, but fighting. And you know people like that. Um, chances are, if, you're, if your, cell, your cell phone has the area code of 623, you're, 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 you're probably a fighter. This, I'm just being, I'm just experienced, right? When I lived on the west side, I was thinking, this is amazing. You have big trucks. All you my bros there, I love you guys, but I've never seen men and women always wanting to throw down. Like girls, women, just like, what? What? In the name of Jesus, I will take my shoes off and put my fist up, and it's like, calm down, right? Calm down. It's not that serious, bro. So, so fits of anger. Then you have rivalries. 
rivalries here is not a healthy rivalry like U of A and ASU. The rivalries here is the, is the I, I know I'm biased, and uh, I know, it's unfair. Um, rivalry has idea, and all of us do this. Rivalry has the idea of stepping on someone else to get what you want. Making somebody else look bad in order to achieve your end. This happens in business. Um, this happens in, in education. This happens in just normal roommate, family relationship, that I'm going to do whatever I can to, to succeed, even if that means stepping over and around and dismissing you or humiliating you for my good. I mean, this happens when a man is pursuing a woman and another man is pursuing that same woman. They, they, they lie about each other or they say, oh, yeah, you like him? Yeah, I can see how you like him. Yeah, he's on drugs, right? <laughs> this, this, this is... This is this is some of the most wicked part of ourselves if we know that, that we, we naturally don't want to see people succeed. Especially if we're going for the same job, we're, same, we're going for the same relationship, we're going for the same house. And this is happening, by the way, with people of your own church. People, people who profess Jesus Christ. And there's a sense that now um, we become very Darwinistic and it's survival of the fittest. I'll do whatever it takes for me to succeed. This is, not, this is not iron sharpening iron. This is not healthy competition. This is I'm going to belittle you in order that I may seem great. And it happens in different contexts. And Paul says it's a sin. Um, he goes on to divisions and decisions, dissensions which go together. This is the idea of not just arguing but heresy coming in a church and dividing it. I mean, there will be arguments within the church, that, you know, free will, sovereignty of God. Those arguments will happen, and they should happen with mature people. They should happen. But, but when someone comes and says, Jesus is not fully God, uh, the way to salvation is by faith and works, that's, that's division. And what's scary about this is, is again, Paul's talking to the church, that, that as a Christian, that you could legitimately be led to heresy. Lastly, he finishes up with how what, when community breaks down, he looks at envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And so the last two, drunkenness and orgies, th- those are taken two gifts of God that we pervert. pervert. Um, first, drunkenness. When the Bible begins to speak about wine, it always speaks about wine in a beautiful way. It always speaks of wine being something that's good. In fact, before Jesus leaves, he says, okay, I'm going to be with my father, and before um, I leave, I want you to do something to remember me. And he says, bread and wine eat and drink. It's something that God's given us. And yet when it comes to drunkenness, the word here means drinking bouts, meaning that you, you, you drink to get drunk. Um, and not just drinking to get drunk, hear me now, it's drinking in a very juvenile way. But you're not doing something to say, I'm going to glorify God in what I'm about to do. I'm going to enjoy God and glorify him as opposed to I'm going to have as much fun as I can possibly have. That's a selfish intent. And Paul says, no, and then the last one there is orgies, and that's just another perversion of sex. Sex in itself, a good gift of God given between a man and woman in marriage to enjoy one another. To, 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 it's a gift. It's good. It's, it's really good. It's something that God wants us to do between a man and a woman in marriage, that they can enjoy one another physically and intimately, and in response to that, worship God for it. Thank God for it. It, it. It's something that's encouraged in the Scripture. However, because of our proclivity and our fallen nature, nation, nature and nation, um, is, it's because we, 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 want to, we want to pervert it. And Paul says, this is not even an exhaustive list. He says, and things like these, meaning there's more. If you're here and you say, oh man, you know what, everything that you named, I'm, I'm not in that. I don't struggle with any of those things. Just, just trust this. You're somewhere in here, and if you're not here, Paul just forgot about you, so self-righteous is not here, which I think you can go there. If you think that you're not there, you're probably, you're probably a self-righteous bigot. Um, so <laughs> that was, that, 
<clears throat> so Paul says things like these. Been in Fresno for a week, man. <laughs> uh, things like these. He says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's saying that those who continue in a lifestyle here, Paul is not talking about specific sin. Though he names sins, it's not so much, have you done these things? Did you do this last night? Are you struggling with this? He's saying lifestyle, meaning this is habitual, that this is something that you continue to keep doing. So I want to comfort those Christians here who are struggling with one of these sins. I said to myself, I struggle with wanting to be someone to start something. I, I, don't, I want to disagree with you. You're black. Well, technically, back in the day, my last name's Stewart. Maybe there was like white in my blood somewhere, right? I just, I want to, want to argue. It's a problem. It is. And, and some of us, we struggle with this. Some of it we did last night. Paul is not saying that you're not going to receive the kingdom because of what you did last night. Paul is saying that, that if you continue to walk in your ways, if you continue to walk in your sinful ways, you have now, by your own actions, proven that there was not an inward reality of the gospel in your life. Again, we talked about this last week, that it's a spiritual impossibility for you to look at grace, see Jesus, see what he's done, and then live any way that you want to live. And Paul says, if that's the case, then you will not receive and inherit the kingdom of God. He starts off this section by saying, these sins are evident. They're, they're evident, meaning... I, a Christian is not surprised that these are sins. No one's surprised like, oh, really? I'm not supposed to have sex with anyone outside of my wife? Oh, you're not my wife. Like, that's not something that, 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 that surprises us, right? He says these are evident. The thing that I think what's wrong with us with Christians when it comes to, comes to sin is we, be, we, we get very comfortable in our sin, very comfortable. And, and, and we presume upon God's grace not realizing that his kindness and his mercy and his patience was meant for that we would repent. And so we have things in our mind like, you know, God's going to forgive me, so I'll just do this right here again, and I'll just do it again. And we nurture it. They like pet sins. We nurture it, and it grows, and, and it, it, it just grows on us, and it becomes habits, that we make a habit out of our own sin because we, oh, it'll be okay. I, I liken it to the alarm in the morning for me. That alarm goes off, and I, I go, oh, I got time, so what do I do? Do I get up and get everybody ready, brush my No, I snooze it. Ten more minutes, seven more minutes, five more minutes, and the next thing you know, I'm running out of the door, like barely putting all my clothes on because I, I just want to be comfortable. It's, it's raining outside. It never rains in Arizona. I don't, they don't need me to preach today. I should just sit here. I should lay here. And, and, and honestly, that, that's how we are. And what the Bible says, when we don't do what God's called us to do, that we grieve the Spirit. And so the Spirit, functioning like an alarm, is constantly talking to us, trying to get our attention, and we're denying it. We're grieving God's spirit because we get so comfortable in our own sin. And Paul says, let, let it never be. Let it never be. Now, see, these are the works of the flesh. And I think Paul uses the language works because this is something that we do, um, something that we do naturally apart from God's grace. And then he talks about the fruit of the spirit. So works of the flesh, something that we do naturally, and then something that happens to us passively and supernaturally, uh, beginning here in verse 22. He says, but the fruit of the spirit... Um, let me just pause there. He, he's saying the fruit of the Spirit, what God has now done in you. When God takes the good news of Jesus Christ and plants it into your soul, plants it into your life, it begins to permeate. permeate. And so again, if there's a person behind justification, the one-time act of which we made right, it's Jesus. If there's a person of the Trinity that's behind sanctification, it's the Spirit, the process at which we're growing. And so every single person who has placed faith in Jesus has been given the Holy Spirit, that we have spirit, the Spirit of God living in us. And so now the Spirit takes everything of Christ and applies it to us. Um, the wisdom of Christ, 
applies it to us. The life of Christ applies it to us. The power of the gospel applies it to us. And it begins to, like a seed, is planted in us and it produces fruit. Um, and, and, and for you nice, tempy people, it's organic fruit because it's from God, right? This is the fruit that, that, that God produces. He says, first, it's love. Um, love, and that's the agape love, the unconditional love, the love that every single person wants, that, that someone's going to love you regardless of what you look like, regardless of what you change into, that God loves you. Um, this is the love of God now that is produced in us. This is the love between a husband and a wife. Um, they, they say vows, I'm going to love you, girl, I'm going to be with you to the, for forever. You know vows. I don't know if you've ever been to a, a real like, hood ghetto wedding. I've told you guys before about my experience. I'm going to be your warrior, right? They make, make <laughs> vows, like, whatever, whatever happens, I'm going to be with you. One of the songs that was played at, played at our wedding, but my request, not my wife's, was this song, this song by Music, um, and it says, I'll love you when your hair turns gray, and I'll still want you if you gain a little weight, girl. I was like, yeah. It don't matter, right? That's, that's the, that's the agape, agape love. And, and this, is, this is clearly seen not just in weddings. This is clearly seen at the cross. This is clearly seen when God comes and says, I see your situation, I see your circumstance, I see where you are in sin, and ultimately I'm going to love you because I love you. This same type of the love of God now is in us. It's not something we have to pray for, it's not something we have to ask for, God's given us love, and that's that agape love. Another part of the fruit of the Spirit is joy and peace, and so joy and peace kind of go together. Joy is not so much happiness and smiling, um, though please smile, um, it's, it's more contentment. Contentment, no matter what the circumstances around you are like, no matter what's happening in your relationship, no matter what's happening in your family, no matter what's happening um, in your singleness, that, that you understand and you have a cheer from the gospel, that you know that God is good and so you don't have to look elsewhere. You know that God is glorious and so you don't have to fear man. You know God is great so you don't have to be in control. You know God is gracious and so you don't have to prove yourself. So no matter the circumstances, circumstances may never change. But in the midst of circumstances that you have joy in God, it's a contentment that only can come from Christ. And linked with that is peace. And peace has the idea that you know who you are in Christ. Your identity in Christ is firmed and it's rooted because of the gospel that there's a sense of wholeness and well-being that comes with joy and peace. Again, not things that we need to pray for, but things that God gives us in Christ Jesus. And this next one is patience. Man, patience. Sometimes I read this, and I totally believe the Bible, and I know God is already saying we have this, but man, some of us just, I struggle with patience. I just, I don't have patience. I am, I want everything fast. I eat fast food because I want it like now. I don't, don't cook it. Just give it to me, right? And just patience is so hard, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't help in our world where everything is fast, 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 fast. Um, yet patience here means long-suffering, that God gives us now the ability to endure hardship, that God gives us the ability to deal with the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the death of people. He gives us the, the ability to hear bad news, that he gives us not just the ability, but the peace of Christ, that though we may weep and though it hurts and we feel it, we trust that God is with us and he never leaves us nor forsakes us and we can endure it. Um, this is not something, again, that we have to pray for or work for. We don't work for these things. This is something God has given us in Christ Jesus. Now, by faith, we exercise these things. We, we ultimately work out what God has given us. And then we have kindness. Kindness is the ability to be ready to serve somebody. That God's given us the, the, the ability, the spirit that we want to meet needs, that, that we care for the poor, uh, that we care for those who are hurting, 
that we invite people into our homes. And linked with, with kindness is, is goodness. Um, goodness is the ability to care for someone ultimately because you're generous. Christians are generous people. That's why when you read the history of the church and you see the kindness and the goodness of Christians showing forth um, their care, their concern, their giving of themselves to, to culture, it's been beautiful. And it, and it continues to be that way. This is a very generous church. This is a church that meets people's needs. You guys are people who meets people's needs. What Paul is saying is the way that you do that, the reason why you do that is because you have the Holy Spirit living in you. There, there's an encouragement in that, that this is not something you just do naturally. This is something that God has supernaturally worked in you that you're able to exercise. Paul says goodness and then faithfulness. Faithfulness has the ideal in seeing the gospel, seeing Jesus, that you're a consistent person. Um, that you're a constant person, that you're a trustworthy person, that people can tell you secrets and you can keep the secrets, um, that you're not just blabbing all over the place, that you're a dependable person. Now, my, my friend Jim, who's Jim Mullins, who's a pastor here and, and does all of redemption, our global and local communication and engagement, he, he is a, he's a godly guy. He might be one of those godly guys that I meet, meet um, I've ever met. So here's what I mean by that. Some people you hear talk about God and you want to go do something for the Lord. Like you want to take your shoes off, give them to a homeless person like tonight. And then there's, there's some people that when they talk about God, you want to look at the scriptures and you want to study theology. And then there's very, very few people in your life that you, when you talk to them, you don't want to do something for God. You don't want to learn more about God. You want to meet God. And Jim's one of those people. And he really understands the cultivation of prayer and sensitivity of the spirit. And um, one of the exercises that he told me to do is take the attributes and the, and the characteristics of God um, and place them to people you know. And so uh, someone who has the, uh, the, the sense of God's love and, you know, place that in a friend of yours. Two things can happen. He says, one, every time you see that person, you're drawn to worship because you go, Lord, that's right, you're a God who loves. And you're able to encourage that person and say, you show forth imperfectly, but the love of, the love of God. When it comes to faithfulness, you got to find people like that. For me, it's my wife. She's the most consistent person that I know. I don't get consistency. Um, I, Groundhog Day to me would make me die. I want something new every day. Tomorrow, I want to wake up in Japan. After that, I want to wake up in London. I'll be back here. I'll be Hispanic. Um, just, I just, I just want to do, do something different all the time. Like, how can you be so consistent? But Paul, Paul, Paul says, no, to me and to those of us who feel like we're not, no, you, you have the spirit to be faithful. Um, you have the spirit of Christ in you to be faithful to people, to be faithful to your church, to be faithful to your, your employer, to be faithful to your employees, to be faithful to be faithful to your spouse in every way, not just physically, but emotionally. That, that, that's something that the spirit of God, even your spouse that you don't even know yet, singles, that you can be faithful to, to them by God's grace and by God's spirit. Um, and lastly, we are, two more, we have gentleness, which means meekness, the meekness of Christ that's in us. And then the last one is self-control. Self-control applies to uh, mainly the areas of our, our you know, sensual, sensual sins like food, uh, sex, and uh, drink. Um, and I say food because we just overeat. Um, my vice, I know it, and, I, and it came clear to me when I was in Fresno because I've been on this weight loss thing way bad last week. <laughs> um, brownies and cookies. Kryptonite. <laughs> Especially peanut butter chocolate chip cookies. Uh, right? And so if I come home and I had a bad day, Jason yelled at me as he always does at work, and, and, and I get home, if I'm, if I'm going to go towards comfort, I'm not going to go towards booze, I'm going to go towards cookies, right? And, and it, it sounds funny, but I know for myself, I medicate myself with eating sometimes. And, and, and the Bible says, ultimately, the fruit of the Spirit is you have control over that. You can use food to glorify God. 
If it's drink, you can use food to glorify God. If it's, if it's sex or sexual sins, you can, you can ultimately use um, God, um, not sex. You could use God. You could have God to be able to glorify him. You can say no to abstain for those of you who are not married and not use your spouse for something to meet your need um, and trust in that God is meeting your need. There's self-control there. All these things are fruit of the Spirit. And again, Paul is not talking about one. Some, some, sometimes we look at this and we go, oh, yeah, I got, I, I'm good at kindness. I'm good at gentleness, not so good self-control. Yeah, I got, you know, five out of the nine. That's pretty good, right? Paul says, no, all of them. There's not, there's, there's not fruits, plural. This is one fruit. It's parts of fruit. Um, and, and then there could be more on here. There could be hope. He says things like these. So, again, he's not talking about particular, but a lifestyle, Meaning the lifestyle of a person that is in submission to the Spirit, that walks by the Spirit, begins to cultivate um, the soil around them that the fruit of the Spirit may be produced well. We all in Christ have the fruit. Now, how it manifests itself, it depends on how good of a gardener you are. Um, And I'm not going to go into gardening illustrations because you guys probably know. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? So, the, the, the ideal is that we cultivate soil. So what do we do to change? What do we do to grow? Well, but Paul gives us, gives us two things here. In verse 24, then we take the battle against the flesh and the spirit. Um, the ways that we grow, the way that we will essentially crucify the flesh, Paul says here in verse 24, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and di- desires. The first thing we need to do is identify sin. Know what our sins are. No one has to tell you. You know what they are. You know where you lean to. Uh, you, you, you know where you go to. And I'm not talking about your surface sins. You got to get to the sin underneath the sin and identify it, and you have to be violent with it. Violent. We don't like that, that, that language in Christian circles, but we, that, that's the language Paul gives. He could have said, get rid of your sin. He could have said, put it away, but he says, no, crucify. And crucifixion in itself is a bloody, bloody deal. We're talking nails to a wooden, a wooden cross. He says, look at your sin and crucify it. You don't need to meditate on your sin. You just need to get rid of it. Um, ultimately. Now, hear me. You will not completely get rid, of, get rid of your sin. This is not something you do physically. I'm not saying to cut anything off or to punch yourself. Um, I, I used to do this thing where I wanted to stop swearing, and I put a rubber band over my wrist, and every time I would swear, I'd snap myself, right? It was ridiculous, right? One, I didn't help, um, and two, it's, it, just, it didn't help, right? And so, so, so crucifying your, your sin ultimately is identifying your sin and getting into the bottom of your sin. So if you're a person who lies, you find yourself always lying, maybe it's because you care about what people think of you. Maybe what you're worshiping is people's approval, and you need to replace that with understanding that in Christ Jesus, you're fully approved. Maybe you're constantly angered. You're always upset. Um, Maybe it's because someone's blocking you from something. If you are a mother, if you are a father and you have kids, your kids block you from life, all right? And so you you just got to realize, this is what God wants for me. My my kid will, I I think God gives us kids, especially like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, just turned three about a month ago. God God gives us these things to show us that ultimately my confidence is is not in God. My confidence is, can I sit down and watch this Final Four? I just got back from Fresno. I want to watch basketball. Um, Maybe maybe your issue is not anger. Maybe your issue is not lying. Maybe it's it's just worrying all the time. And you need to replace that sin ultimately in that worship and seeing that God, God is great. You don't have to be in control. It may not always go the way that you want it to go, but it will always go the way that God will actively cause or allow for your good and for his glory. Um, crucifying the flesh is not snoozing the spirit when the spirit is talking to us. Crucifying the flesh is identifying our sin. And you know what it is. Whatever that pet sin is. And some of us take the, the road of, ah, that's just who I am. When, when you say things like that, oh, that's just who I am, 
you just admitted that you have no hope. You just admitted that you have no hope in the gospel. Um, you may not get there fast. Again, it's a, it's a progress, but you do need to crucify it and be serious about it. The second thing that Paul gives us here is not only crucifying the, sin, the, the flesh, but it all in the desires. Verse 25 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And if you have a pen in your own Bible, you can underline keep in step. Remember I said that, that sanctification in itself, is there was a part that we play. The Spirit, by faith, we receive it passively. Christianity is received passively, yet it's lived actively. There is something we do. For, for the past eight weeks, we've been saying, you do nothing, you do nothing, you do nothing. And people have been loving it. I love this church. I don't have to obey or anything. No. You do nothing when it comes to your salvation. But if now that you're a Christian, now that you're saved, now that you've been given the Spirit in response to the gospel, yes, there's a part that you play in your sanctification. It's trusting by faith and walking by faith. But that's active walking. Again, I said earlier, it's trusting in Jesus and walk with Jesus daily. And so walking in the Spirit or keeping step is a military, a military language. And you know, if you've been in the military, you've seen military, it's walking in line. It's following the leader. In this case, it's following the Spirit. And the way that we do that, guys, it's, it's really simple. Again, it's spiritual disciplines. It's waking up in the morning and it's opening up your Bible. It's reading it. It's believing what it says. It's letting it affect you. It's listening to what it says because that's the primary way that the Spirit speaks. Now, does the Spirit speak to us in visions and dreams and things like that? Yes, but that just happens to like four of us. And the rest of us go, mm, didn't happen to me. But the Spirit speaks to everybody through the Scripture. And so it's reading. It, it's what Peter said. It's longing for, for pure spiritual milk like a new ba- newborn baby that we trust in God's Word. Another way is prayer. It's connecting with God, talking with God, um, trusting in him, believing in him, believing in him to do things that he says that he will do. And, then, and another one is Christian community. We, the way we do it is in redemption communities. It's having people alongside of you. You may use the word accountability. Um, the reason why I don't like the word accountability is because accountability has always mean, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you do it? It's not encouraging. Christian community is people around you that lovingly can point you to Jesus, not just point you to your sin can look at your sin and point you to Jesus. These, these are things that we walk in step with. They're, they're important. And here's why they're important, and I'll close with this. When we read, when we pray, when we're in community over a period of time, the sanctification process in discipleship works best. I constantly try to give people illustration of my own life. I, I am who I am and where I am by God's grace and God's people. Um, I, I became a Christian seven, eight years ago, I'm not sure, not a long time, but I always had God's people around me pointing me to these things, pointing me to the gospel, pointing me to the truth. And the reason if I did not have them, I wouldn't have never lost my salvation, but I would have lost my focus. I wouldn't have lost my standing before God, but I will have lost my focus. And, the, and the, the picture here is if you've ever been body surfing, yeah, I can swim. If you've ever been body surfing um, in, the, in, in the beach, in the ocean, right, um, what you do is you, you get out there, you swim, and you're out there hanging out with your boys, and then all of a sudden you look back and your towels and everything you had is like way over there. You didn't, you didn't intentionally swim over here. All you were doing was just, just swimming, just naturally swimming. And then you, were, you, were, you, you, lost, you lost where you were. That's how it is for us when we don't apply God's word to our life. That's how it is when we don't have God's people in our life. That's how it is when we don't have prayer in our life. And these are, don't become daily routines and um, consistent routines, I would say. Consistent routines is we won't lose our salvation. We won't lose our understanding of Jesus, but we will drift. We'll lose our focus. Amen? So when you walk away and you say, what was the message on? The message is your flesh will try to attack you. 
The spirit of Christ in you will ultimately bring you fruit and has given you fruit. The best thing you can do to attack your flesh, not just, you know, call it truce, attack it, is with the fruit of the spirit, with the means of the gospel, because of Christ Jesus, crucify it, walk by the spirit, by doing exactly what God's called you to do. It's called obedience. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the cross. And we thank you for the work of your son Jesus on that cross. We thank you for the work of your son Jesus uh, being lifted from the tomb. And we thank you for the work of your son Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father who has given us the Spirit. Father, we pray that you, you would never dumb down um, the word of God, but Lord, you would, um, as your spirit often does, make it clear for us in our own lives, Father. And so as we try to process the flesh, um, the war, the cosmic war that is happening um, internally for us, Father, that we, we would not be so devastated, Lord, by our um, consistent failures, Lord, in the categories of sin that Paul listed. But Lord, I pray that we would be lifted up, we'd be encouraged, Lord, by the fruit of the Spirit that you give us, and Lord, that we would be connected to Jesus as the vine, and that we would be branches that produce good fruit. Lord, I pray that we would take ourselves um, lightly, take sin serious, and Lord, see you as supreme and as glorious. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we may disciple ourselves and disciple one another and point to the gospel truth. Father, we thank you for, for all that you're doing in this church. We thank you for all that you're doing in this city, and we ask that you would continue to pour out your spirit that many men and women may come to know you and walk strong with you. In Jesus' name, amen.